about RI teachers, we do appreciate that. And, and I, just to add to what he said, there is an information sheet for if you're thinking about RI in our city. Uh, they're actually in pretty desperate need. Um, and I understand it's through the weekdays and it's difficult for people work and things like that, but if there's the odd chance that you could just come and see us about that, we'd really appreciate it. It's, it's one of the biggest mission fields in our city, uh, children, reaching children through the religious instructions um, ministry throughout the week during the school terms. Hey, uh, I want to, uh, last week we just uh, kicked off uh, just a mini little mini series, or well, actually before that we were looking at uh, the, the letters that Paul wrote uh, to many different groups of people across the then-known world. And uh, I want to continue today, and I want us to go to the, uh, the passage that we actually read last Sunday morning. I want to read it again, and I want to just finish this, what I started to share. So uh, this morning, I want to just look at Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Uh, just some background, the backstory to this letter is Paul has written this letter um, you know, around about uh, AD 51, 51 years after Christ was born. And so it, it was uh, not a long time, but it was certainly at least half a century, 51 years, or around 51. And it's interesting because we see in this letter, this is the sixth letter of 13 letters that Paul wrote. And he wrote to this church at Philippi. And it's a Greek city. It's just in the kind of the uh, more northern part of Greece. Um, and uh, he wrote it with a passion about certain things. And so let's read it, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 8. It just says this, I implore you, and he names a couple wonderful women. He says, Yodia, Yodia, and I implore uh, Sinche, okay, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And so he kind of names them. I don't, I don't know if you're like that, but... Um, you know, you wouldn't like to be named in a letter because you've been in disagreement with each other. That wouldn't be nice, would it? So this is a pretty straightforward letter, you know. But he says, I urge you also, true companions, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. So he's, he's really kind of, um, in one, one phrase, he's kind of, you know, rebuking them. But the other statement, he's saying, these are good women. They helped me plant this church. Paul planted this church. He planted this church and he established this church. He's got a great passion for this church. He doesn't want to see it go down. And, and so he says, I urge you, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. And Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice and let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the peace of God, which surpasses, will guard your hearts and minds in, through Christ Jesus. And then he gives this uh, final verse. It's not the final verse of the whole letter, but it's one of those final statements. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, we should say it's not brother, brethren is a generic word. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He gives us this list, doesn't he? What a comprehensive and incredible list that is. I want to just add, um, this week, if you weren't aware, there was an earthquake in Turkey in, it, that hit both Turkey and Greece. Anybody read about that? At the present, unfortunately, sadly, the present... Um, body count is 25 people. Um, it's, it's very sad. And, and it was 6.7 on the Richter scale. It hit, it hit Turkey, but the Greek parts of the Greek islands and, and Greece itself. And, 
And Athens actually felt it as well, but not, not as strong as obviously the Turkey side of that, that area. But I, I, it was, I was very mindful of that and very interested because on Thursday the 18th of July last year at 11 a.m., I was in Athens with Michelle and my daughter Lydia. And we just arrived via plane. Um, the, the driver had driven us to our apartment. We were on a fourth floor. By the way, I've just realized why they only build um, buildings in Athens no greater than four floors. They have too many earthquakes. <laughs> they don't need skyscrapers. <laughs> anyway, we're on the highest floor. And uh, as some of would you be aware, I shared last year, but uh, there was an earthquake hit Athens. I didn't know what had happened, hit me. I thought, this is, I'm only there at like, two hours and an earthquake hits and not only was it an earthquake that was just um that hit at the city of athens but it is the first large earthquake that had hit since 1999 so i'm there exactly like 20 years later and they get a massive earthquake hit 5.3 on the richter scale thankfully that day no one was killed a couple of old buildings collapsed and but it certainly opened my eyes to the reality of what an earthquake feels like because i live in queensland don't we um, some of you would have felt earthquakes. Apparently, earthquake has uh, Queensland has earthquakes, but just not so intense that we feel them often. But it just made me very, uh, very keyed up and very interested in this earthquake that happened in Turkey and Greece. And as I was looking at the history of the Church of Philippi, it was actually established in 5 BC, five years before Christ was born. The city of Philippi was established. It was one of the major cities in Greece. And then in 7 AD, seven years after Christ, they had a catastrophic earthquake hit Philippi and nearly destroyed the whole city in 7 AD. So Paul's now um, planted this church and writing this letter, you know, some 46 years later. So that whole area is prone to earthquakes and you can appreciate that. And as he writes this letter, the, the thing, the, one of the things that he's addressing in this letter church you've got to see this he's addressing the, this church that he has a passion for because he's planted it he's the one who established it and he's worked beside this these ladies these you know yodia and sin changes he knows their heart and now they're in disagreement and there's other people arguing and having struggles with each other and now it, it he realizes there's something greater than any earthquake that's going to destroy this church or this city the truth is it's this 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 division that they have that wants to destroy them and he says you know something would you stop it we just stop it because it, it, it's creating th earthquake kind of situations that can be very destructive, not to the physical building or landscape, but to the very hearts and lives of people and ultimately to the body of Christ and what I want to see established. And so Paul is declaring that and he's very purposeful in what he's saying to this, this group of people. And they're, and, they're, and they're all different types of Christians. There's Greeks and there's Romans and there's Gentiles and and, and Jews there, and he's trying to share with them and say, come on, you're good people. And, you know, and so he's, he's, he's very deliberate in what he's saying. And then he, and then he gives us, he, he very clearly gives us the antidote in verse 8. He says, here's the answer. He just doesn't say, this is the problem. It's always a good day when someone comes to you and says, here's the problem. But it's great when they say, and I've got an answer. That's always a good day, isn't it? Instead of just, oh, here's the problem, see you later. You're a little bit burdened by that. But Paul deliberately said, here's the, here's the problem, but here's the answer, Philippians 4.8. And he says, it's what you're thinking on, guys. He says, it's what you meditate on. It's what you're using your mind space for, that you've got to be aware of that. Because what you think on will determine your character and your conduct. Isn't that true? Sometimes we can think, well, if I just stop that doing that thing that's wrong, I'll be right. 
No, no, no. Before you stop doing the thing that's wrong, you've got to stop thinking about the thing that's wrong. You've got to stop dwelling on it. You've got to stop giving it mind space. You've you got to stop that. That's what you, and often the problems that we have, uh, sometimes we think they're just circumstantial. No, no, no. Often they're in here that we've got to, first of all, stop allowing our mind to go to that place. And when we stop our mind going to that place, it's amazing how you see the situation so different. So, can, are, you, are you cool this morning? Are you there, church? Great. So let's just... just for a moment today, let's finish this, what I started last week. And, you know, we talked about last week, it says, think on things that are true. Um, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, and the truth is, how many things do we stress over and worry about that aren't true and never come to pass and, and, and you know, never materialize and yet we give so much energy and worry and anxiousness to that? Well, that's what Paul's talking about. Come on, think on things that are true. He's talking to the church. He's, he's, these group of people, he says, stop thinking on things that are not true about each other. And then he says, think, of things that, um, think on things that are noble. So noble thoughts. And what does he mean? He's talking about the noble thoughts of the way we think about each other people. So specifically, don't entertain thoughts that are not going to be honorable to people. Don't you know, talk about dishonorable. Don't think about dishonorable ways of treating each other. Think about honorable ways to treat each other. That's what he's saying. And then he says what things are just, or another word in the NIV says, um, New International says right. So think about rightly or justly think about other people. And what it means is don't judge other people's motives. You ever seen someone do something and you think, oh, I know why they're doing that? No, you don't, usually. (laughs) It mightn't be the reason you think at all. So don't judge each other's motives. And then it says, think about things that are pure. And when I saw that word, I thought, oh, well, that's moral purity. And what you're, you know, keeping your mind clean, keeping your... No, no, it's not that. It's not just that, but it's talking about motives again. But it's talking about our motives. And so while the one before it says, think on things that are just or right, is talking about not judging others' motives. Thinking about things that are pure is talking about judging your own motives. Judging yourself. God says it's okay to judge yourself. And in actual fact, it's a really good thing to be uh, reflective of yourself often. And I think some of us don't give ourselves time to do that because we're so busy living life, which is wonderful. But I tell you, I live life better when within each 24-hour period, I just stop and get a little bit reflective. Not the belly button gaze or to think I'm a terrible person. No, but just to surrender some things and give my moments of, of that to the things to God, I'll just think about, hey, you know what I'm saying? Because I think the, the community and the society we live on, it rushes, rushes, rushes. Even though we've all had to slow down for COVID, I, I think that some of you have found that a struggle because, oh, I've got to do something. I can't just sit here. Well, sometimes you just need to and just be reflective on what you actually think on in the day. And then we go on to these next, and so we'll tackle these next several, okay? Then it starts to talk about, it, and Paul, and I'll address two of them in the one hit. It says, whatever's lovely and whatever is of good, what? Report, okay? Whatever is what? Whatever, can you say with me, whatever is lovely and whatever is of good report? Meditate on these things, Paul says. So, so let me just put them together. Um, Paul uses these words lovely and good report in a very interesting context here. And it's not what you think. It's not what I thought when I've read this passage maybe 50, 30, 60 times in my life. It's a great passage. Great passage, isn't it? 
um, verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. But, but I never understood this until now. Because these words, lovely and of good report, are the only times that Paul ever uses these words in the New Testament. In actual fact, these words of lovely and good report are the only time that are ever mentioned in the whole 27 books of the New Testament. They're never used before. They're never used again. No other Peter or Apostle or James or anybody else ever uses these words. Paul uses these words in this context to this church to challenge them about something very particular that they were also facing and involved in that he wanted to help them through. It, 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 it never, never, never are they ever used and they're only ever used this once in Scripture. And the truth is, I want to tell you why, is because they're secular terms. Do you know what secular is? Non-Christian. Paul's using secular terminology to speak to a Christian group of people. Now, you may ask, why is he doing that? Um, why is he using these words that are used in everyday community, but not used in the Christian? And the word lovely has the connotation of attractiveness or to excite love. And the word good report has the connotation of sounding well or fair speaking. Now, they're, they're, good, they're good definitions, nothing wrong with that. So Paul, when Paul uses these terms, I, I, you know what would have happened? He would have got their attention. He would have got their attention because the, these words are not what Paul would normally use. And you can imagine some of the Christians go, oh, he said that word. And it's a secular word. And to you and I, lovely and good report is, of course, being translated into English. But in, in Greek, it was a secular word. And, and like... He said that word. And Paul is, what's Paul saying? Paul is saying, if, saying if, if something is lovely and if something is good report, even if it's of something in the world and not Christian, your Christian spheres, but out there in secular terms, you know what? It's okay to think on those things um, as, uh, you know, to think on those things. Because it could be simply lovely and it could be of good report. And it's not immoral and it's not bad. And, you know, so the church was, the interesting thing here is they were starting to call things sinful that actually, um, well, let me just go back one spot. What Paul is doing here is this, is Paul is dealing with a thing in this church of Philippi called legalism legalism and they were struggling over different levels of what is spiritual and what wasn't spiritual and they were getting in division and they were upsetting each other and disagreeing and they were starting to call things sinful that aren't actually sinful and they were getting all mixed up about what's right and what's wrong and, and so that caused division see in Philippians chapter 3 a chapter before in verse 2 what Paul wrote Paul addresses an issue about around a thing called um, circumcision and and what was happening is Paul is saying, you know, um, circumcision, there was a time in our, in our history where circumcision was a very important a physical act and, and uh, procedure because it, it, it showed to God our willingness to have a heart after him. But now he's saying now it's not circumcision of the flesh, but he's saying it's circumcision of the heart. In other words, not a, not a physically cutting of the heart, but a working through and seeing that it's your faith in Jesus Christ that really is important. And he calls these people out in Philippians 2, this Christian um, Philippi church, and he says, you're, you're mutilating the flesh. That's the words he uses. Stop mutilating of the flesh with circumcision. And all the men said, Amen. Because you can imagine on a Sunday morning, a new person would maybe come into church, a guy, and they'd say, hey, are you circumcised? Well, no, I'm not. Come with me. I'm only assuming. Yeah, you know, 
And either you were, and it was determined. You see, and Paul's saying, um, you know, that there were maybe some Jewish people particularly coming to Christ in Philippi, and that they were possibly at least suggesting to the Gentiles and to the Romans and the Greeks to be circumcised before they could be fully accepted by God. And Paul says, that's rubbish. That's not true. That, you know, these things are not wrong. And then, um, and what he's saying is, circumcision is not the issue here. It's your heart issue that's the thing. And whether you've been circumcised or not, it's not going to make you more favorable with God or not. It's a legalistic, it's now a legalistic thing that we don't need to, um, don't need to involve ourselves in. It was for a day, but it's not for now. It's a circumcision of your, of your heart. And Paul's saying, there are things in the community that are lovely and they're not sinful. Like if you're not circumcised, man, it's okay. You're not being a sinful person. So Paul is addressing this so wonderfully here. And Paul, and God is, you know, as I consider this, what he's saying to this church, God has called us to be holy. Would you agree? Oh, holy. He's called us to be holy, morally pure. <laughs> not, but there's a difference between legalism and holiness. And, and legalism can focus solely on the outward appearance and not on the real issues of the heart. And, you know, legalism... Uh, just to choose some I was thinking about. Legalism can say, you know, uh, many, many years ago, and, and I've even, maybe not so many years ago, I've heard people say different coloured hair is a sin. <laughs> Holiness says coloured hair is not a sin, it's just a personal preference. And it doesn't affect your faith. And all the women who got coloured hair this morning went, Yay! I remember going to a youth camp as a 20-year-old and a girl turned up with red hair and, oh, far out, wasn't there? You know, every, people got upset about that. Personally, I didn't have a problem, but anyway. I, I can remember, I've, I've, over the years, I've heard playing cards is sinful. <laughs> Some of us that were over 55 will remember that. <laughs> Some of us remember wearing hats in church is sinful. Andrew. I'll be talking to you later. <laughs> it's a personal preference. It's legalism. <laughs> some, some of us remember, and I preached on this. Oh, God, forgive me. How many times I've repented over this? That playing Christian rock music is sinful. That was many years ago. It's a personal preference. It's not an issue of the... It's faith in the Lord. You, you get my point this morning. And Paul's trying to address this church. And, and they haven't got problems with red hair and hats and all that. No, no, they've got problem, other problems, circumcision and other issues that people are saying. And Paul's saying, hey, you know what? Those things are lovely and good report. Yeah, you know, think on those things that aren't even in the life of the church. Don't be so, you know, so bound up here that you, you can't see the beauty and the goodness of God. And you see, it's, the, it, 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 it's not a matter of... Don't allow this legalism to cause divisions, he says, among you. Your legalism can take, taken to the extreme, can cause disunity amongst people because it can say you're not as holy as me because you don't dress like me or you don't have a certain type of, you don't do things certain ways like me. And so we've got to just always, like Paul was saying, consider when you look at different, when you look at people are different to you, how do you see them? Have a certain type of doing things and here, and they don't suit your criteria. Would you just see past that and it's see the loveliness and see the good report in them and, and don't continue to go down this track? That's what Paul's saying. He's trying to address the legalism by saying, meditate on lovely and good reports. 
Because the truth is, legalism can rob you of genuine faith and real joy. You know? Amen, just one will do. Yeah, man, just one will do. Thank you, just one. Here's the next word. Here's the next thing that Paul gives in his list of, of, of mind, things to be mindful of and things to meditate on. He says, whatever is of any what virtue. What's this about? What's this about virtue? Well, he's actually talking about moral purity or moral virtue. Okay, very clearly here. He's actually saying we have to keep our, our thoughts pure and guard what we think on. Okay. Um, and Paul speaks uh, actually to a group of Christians in the Corinth church, in another Greek church, uh, in down in the bottom end of Greece, near Athens. And he says to them in Philippians, uh, sorry, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, and I'll just give you the last bit. All of the verses are incredibly good, but the last bit says, and we'll go to that last bit, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of who? Christ. Bring your thoughts in obedience to captivity. Uh, captivity, the obedience, it says to captivate or take capture your thoughts so they don't dw- you don't dwell on them because if you dwell on them they can become a desire is that true especially if they're a wrong thought yeah, they can, can become a desire and a desire can, can become an action and an action become a sin and a sin can lead to death and so he's saying don't capture your thoughts before that happens because you need to see that's not going to help you and um, the truth is you and I have wrong thoughts we can have a wrong thought um but the real problem starts is what you, the real problem is what you do with that thought. Whether you engage that thought and continue to think on it or whether you stop that thought. There was a famous John Wesley preacher. Uh, he was a great English preacher, revivalist in the you know, previous centuries. And he said this, and some of you have heard this, I cannot stop the birds from flying over my head. Come on, you know it. But, you know, you can stop, I can certainly stop the birds from nesting in my hair. For some of us, that would be difficult. We haven't got any. But, you know, but John Wesley, John Wesley, had, he was saying something. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you have, had, you have that initial thought. You have that initial first thought that you have a choice of what you think on next. And so make a choice to control your second thought and stop your mind from going to that, down that path. And so I've discovered that, you know, I, I, have a, I have a first thought, but more and more as I, my second thought is to say, no, I'm not going to think on that anymore. My second thought can eventually be, always become my default mechanism and become my first thought. Does that make sense? Because our first thought can be wrong. <laughs> I put my hand up. But the second thought can be, no, I'm not going there. And eventually, if you continue to do that in life, you'll get, the, get to the point where your second thought is always your first. I'm not even looking at I'm not even thinking about I know what I could think, but I'm not going to think it. I think. <laughs> Eventually. So Paul says, Paul says, not only, come on, this, you, you group of um, people in Philippi, not only just, you know, um, look on things that are lovely, think on things that are, uh, you know, a good report, but, and think of things, be virtuous in your thoughts towards each other. But now he says, finally, Paul says, here's something else. And, Meditate on that which is praiseworthy, praiseworthy. So Paul's dealing with people in disagreement, as you already know. And so he's saying, don't continue to be fault-finding with other people. Um, it's no fun being with people who are always fault-finding, <laughs> always looking to the worst scenario, always finding the little things in people, nitpicking, oh, you got this wrong, that wrong. You know, I, you know, I continually 
uh, question if I start to go down that track. I always say, Father, if I'm nitpicking here, I need to realize I'm very susceptible to judging in the wrong way because I am just as equally available or can do the same thing they're doing, but I choose not to. You know, that's why I think it, that's the difference between judging right and judging wrong is, is when you judge and say, I could never do that. That's a Pharisee kind of spirit, isn't it? But when you say, hey, yeah, I could see that's not good. But you know what? There goes me, but the grace of God. It's a different attitude, isn't it? And Paul's saying, come on, stop. Stop. I don't, you know, stop fault finding here. I, look, the truth is, I don't mean that we don't address issues that are wrong. And, and it doesn't mean that we should be blind to improvements, you know? But Paul is saying, don't continually major on the minors or spend our time thinking or taking up mind space on the little things that you don't particularly like with other people. It's always a good thing in marriage, men and women, to stop looking at all the little things. And I've mentioned this before. <laughs> and, and just uh, uh, picking, picking, picking. It doesn't, you know, if you keep on picking, it'll fall apart. Why don't, you, why don't you look at the things that think are, are praiseworthy? Why don't you look at the things that you, know, you can give thanks for? Because you know? uh, there's plenty that we could pick on each other about, but you know, come on. <laughs> and, it's not, and, and as I said, it's not dealing with the things that you need to deal with. Uh, you don't just, oh no, everything's okay. <laughs> no, it's not sometimes. But the reality is not living in this realm. Paul saying, come on, don't continue to be like that. Meditate on things that are praiseworthy, that things will help you guard your thinking. And Paul says in verse 4, he says, come on, rejoice. We read this morning, I say again, rejoice, rejoice. Or be thankful or be praiseworthy about certain things. And I've discovered that you can't accommodate a, a, a bad thought and a good thought in the same thinking. Well, men can't anyway. Maybe women can. But, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have a, if you can negate a bad thought by just starting to think, on things that are worthy of praise. My brain only allows one thought at a time. There might be a lot of thoughts going through, but only one thought. So I, you've got to make a choice. Am I, is this thought going to be something I'm going to give thanks and praiseworthy and look at the things? You know, is it a, can, I see the, can I see the rose bush and see the roses and stop seeing the thorns or what? You know, so what are we going to think on? Paul's saying, come on, you group of Christians in Philippi. Look at the things that are praiseworthy. You know, you're a great church. You're the, actually, it was the very first church Paul um, planted in Greece. He says, you're privileged. There's many wonderful things. People, you know, people have come to the Lord Jesus Christ in you. There's wonderful things happening. Stop some of this stuff and let's get on with the main, main thing is the main thing. That's Jesus Christ upholding him and presenting him. Let's, let's get about the right business, he's saying. He says, come on, think on things that are praiseworthy. I, I was... Uh, there was a young man, he was actually not so young, he was 35, but that's not old either. And he, he was a son, and he went to a, a men's retreat. And at the men's retreat, he, he discovered and became very aware of the fact that he'd never said thank you to his dad for all he'd done to him, for him. And he became quite convicted in his heart. And so he rang his dad while at the camp, and he, he said, Dad, I just wanted to... Well, first of all, when he rang, his dad answered the phone, and his dad straight away said, oh, I'll get your mum. He says, no, 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 Dad, it's actually you I want to speak to. Oh, okay. He says, Dad, I just uh, have become very aware that I've, um, all the things that you've done for me over the years, that you, you know, you paid for my education, you, you encouraged me in that education, you looked after me and, until I was able to look after myself, and there's so many things that you did for me that I've never actually said thank you. And there was a pause on the end of the phone. 
And he says, so dad, I just want to say thank you. And I also just want to tell you, dad, I love you. There was another pregnant pause. And the father said, son, have you been drinking? (laughs) But I I thought that story was so relevant because sometimes we're so unaccompanied. We so much don't receive sometimes thanks and praise. We're unaccustomed to that. And we're sometimes so unaccustomed to giving it. We're so unaccustomed to receiving it, but we're so unaccustomed to giving it. So many times in life, we, we walk through life and there's, look, what would it be like if you did my decision tomorrow? I'm going to pick one thing and I'm going to give thanks for it. How would your day look? Would it look a little better? I think it would be. And we're so unaccustomed to this. You know, we've got to change impulses. Come on. Let it happen, change, let it, let it shift. Can I have the team come up? Actually, they could all come up now. God's just asking us, uh, what Paul writes, he's saying, come on, there's some things that we've got to meditate on. So many times we, we can go through life if I, and we pick out all the things we need to change. I need to change that action, that action, that attitude, that, those words, I've got to stop saying those words, those thoughts, I've got to words or whatever action it may be but it always starts with what we think on as I said what we think on what we meditate on some of the reasons that actual fact that we have never some of us have never responded to Jesus Christ is because we've never given it time to think about it never given time to actually you know to, to think what Christ actually who he is and what he's about some of us have just taken other people's opinions. He's just another good man that lived, or he's just another whatever prophet, or he was he was like Muhammad and or Buddha or someone else. Well, he never was that. He made the claims to be the Son of God. And we just need to give thought to that. And then you say, but no, I can't believe in that because there's all these other views. There's evolution, for instance. We came from monkeys. Well, you know, if you're sick, go to a vet. But you know, the truth is it's not the truth. You know, it's not the truth. We didn't evolve. We were created by an intelligent, incredible being called God, our Heavenly Father. And so all these arguments can bombard us sometimes of why we can't believe in Jesus or even follow Him fully. And God would challenge us and say, why don't you start to think about the truth? Because it says, as Paul said, meditate on that which is true. Can we stand today as we close? I want to pray this morning, and I want to just pray this morning the first prayer. It's just a prayer of commitment today to Jesus. And it's up to you whether you're going to make it your own or not. And then the second one I want to pray is just pray for us as a group of people, that we would be people. Um, mind you, I, to be honest, I'm not preaching this because particularly that we reflect like the Church of Philippi. If anything, I am so blessed to be in a church that just wants to support and encourage. And so don't get that idea. All of a sudden, I'm trying to address this issue about some... I don't know of any division. Obviously, you don't tell me if there is. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just I'm bringing it up for our everyday life of how we live in our families, our workplaces, and with other people and relationships. Because often what it can be a make or break thing, sometimes relationships and how we deal, go about life, whether we enjoy it. So let me pray today, first of all, for those who, who know they need to make this prayer their own in response to Jesus. Can we close our eyes just for a moment? Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. I thank you, Lord, you sent Jesus Christ 
And I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and what he did for me when he died on the cross. And I believe in my heart that he shed his blood that I might be forgiven of sin and receive salvation. Right now, I receive that. Right now, I accept that. Right now, I thank you for that. And I ask you to help me to live for you, Father. And not live for my old fleshly man, but to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, I pray today for every person here. I pray, Father God, that you would help us to be people that would, Father, live in your hope and joy. And the way that that can happen is because as we meditate on that which is good and true and right and praiseworthy and thankful. Father, we need that. We need it in our relationships with people, in our marriages, in our relationships with our children, our relationships with each other. God, our relationships with you. Help us today to be thankful. Help us today to go into tomorrow seeing that there's a day tomorrow there's something we can be thankful for. Holy Spirit, challenge us and convict us when we start to be anything but what you've planned for us. And help us, Lord, to realize the real strength to giving up some of those habitual things that we hate doing is through what we think on today and tomorrow, not on just the action itself. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone agreed, said? Amen. Come on.